we all prefer renewables and how do we solve that? But that is a bigger question. And, and if we were also waiting for that to be solved before we do something, then it will take so long. So we need to act on so many levels and really start running towards the future, but without having the exact direction. Welcome back to Deep Tech Stories, a podcast making creators, entrepreneurs and idealists in the deep tech space accessible by highlighting their stories and pulling their ideas from the lab into the real world. My name is Philipp Stürmer and on the show today, the tech behind Elon Road's Electric Roads with Karin Ebbinghaus. Earlier this year, the European Union approved the ending of sales of vehicles with internal combustion engines by 2035 to reach the carbon emission targets by 2050. This means that from 2035 on, you'll only be able to buy electric vehicles in the European Union. And while EVs have seen an impressive leap in reach and accessibility in the last decade, there are still many things to buff out to allow for widespread adoption. High on the list of those things are a lacking charging infrastructure, reach, and grid overloading when too many people want to charge their cars at the same time. One way around that could be electric roads, where the car is being charged while driving. With such a solution, one would increase reach, reduce necessary battery size, and with that, reduce the entry price for new car owners. And on top of that, the maths actually checks out that one would lower grid load with those electric roads. However, Karen Ebbinghaus, CEO of Elon Road, sees an additional reason to work on their contact-based electric roads. Electric roads would make life much easier without the necessary hassle of plugging in your car every time you come home or you go to work. That is really what is restricting, I would say, full EV adoption, mm -hmm. is, is that concept of um taking the time to recharge or refill i mean you carry on you, because you sort of have adopted the same behavior you have a tank and you have petrol and you refill it you have a battery you empty it you recharge it mm -hmm. uh, and then the recharging will take slower than uh, refilling it even if you have a fast charger or no. battery so and then the production or uh, of batteries is not so sustainable or has been and there are certain raw materials and minerals that yeah. are scarce so um, that's why really this concept was evolving or thought of was really to how can we enable more climate friendly driving uh, with electrification but without negative uh, elements of, of battery production and yeah. uh, raw material sourcing so actually our founder was was thinking of you know he played a lot with skeletic car track when he was small mm -hmm. have you have you played with that no you have the rail and you have some cars and you have a like a, a Although, yeah, the, the carrera yeah carrera or skeletic there are different brands and he, he used to play a lot with them when mm -hmm. he was small and he was like why don't we do this like large size yeah. scale uh, and started to think about that and he couldn't really let go of that idea and, and it, it is possible to do it. So uh, I think that uh, the technology is not really the most revolutionary thing here. It's change behavior. As I said before, we are so used to going to a gas station and refill. That's how you, it's yeah. done when you drive. And now it's not. 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense anymore. No, but th that yeah. behavioral change is will be the most difficult thing yeah. to to affect, uh, rather than building a new technology that works. Mm -hmm. But with the carrier bond, it's touch based, so you have some some contact. It's constantly. Having That's improved. the same as we do. Okay, it's the same. Yeah. Not, not induction. No, it's not induction, and and uh, we always get that when we talk about because we are not wireless, but we're cordless, you could say, yeah. because we do have contact. And uh, the reason why we still think contact is superior is the laws of physics. It's higher energy density uh, when you have contact yeah. than, than uh, wireless or induction. Uh, it's the same when you charge your iPhone. If you put it on an induction plate, it works, uh, but it will take longer time than if you put in a cord yeah. and have contact. Uh, so again, we want to be really resource efficient. Mm -hmm. Uh, not waste any energy. So in the transfer phase, we want to be have as high efficiency as possible. Yep. And then contact is superior. And we also want to be able to transfer really high effects. So you can charge a battery quickly. Mm -hmm. So you don't need so large batteries and you don't need so large electrical roads. So when we transfer energy dynamically with contact, we can transfer quite high effects. So 300 or 400 kilowatts mm -hmm. to a vehicle. How much is it compared to the normal charging station? I mean, a Tesla is 100 and 150. Uh, so it's, but uh, most most onboard chargers is perhaps uh, 22 kilowatts. So of course it depends on the vehicle capacity to absorb energy. Yeah. But if you're talking about long haul trucks, you will get, you need higher effect. So I would say that the long haul truck requires approximately 120 ish kilowatt just mm -hmm. to drive. And then they will have a battery for uh, 200 or 300 kilowatts. So we can use like the first 120 for, for the drive line, and then we put the remaining part into the battery. So really charging while you are driving. Yeah. So when you drive off an electrical road, but if you have like an induction, perhaps you can only transfer 100 kilowatts, and that is only to support the drive line. Yeah. So then you cannot you cannot use it for driving and charging at the same yeah. time. How do you get the power into the street? Because you would then need, I guess, like every few kilometers or hundred meters. So yeah. yeah, so every kilometer approximately, we need a, a power station that connects to the grid. Okay. So obviously we need a grid connection somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and when they talk about the cost for electrical roads, I guess that is one of the bigger costs to have a supporting grid mm -hmm. uh, also to, and that is also quite the, a misconception because people say that oh, when you have electrical roads, you would need so much more energy. Um, but the amount of energy is the same as for charging points. They just use it's what really, you're driving for. Essentially. Yeah, it's it's what how many vehicles you have and the battery capacity that that is the measurement or for or need for energy, not mm. how you distribute it or supply it. Yeah. So electrical roads, I would say, will. Um, to some extent actually uh, have an effect that you need less energy because in the long run, if you have more vehicles with smaller batteries, because you can access charging easily, then the vehicles will be lighter and they will not require so much energy. Yeah, and you, I guess you would also be able to produce more because you just don't use as much of the, the rare materials and lithium or whatever the, yes. the battery in the future will be made out of. So that is uh, one of our like hopes or visions that, um, of course, instead of each vehicle carrying uh, on board so large batteries, you can have half size and you can have two vehicles instead. Mm. So you can have a quicker EV adoption. 
obviously it's better for um, the, the minerals and the, the raw materials, but also pricing, because when you look at the vehicle, I would say that more than 50% is, is related to the battery cost. And if you can have a smaller yeah. battery, you could probably have a cheaper EV and then more people can use it can afford it so but then again that doesn't really perhaps is something that the vehicle manufacturers are so interested in and so uh, it's it's difficult to introduce something that really disturbs the traditional value chain even it's, yeah. if it's better for the environment yeah i mean it is essentially what i guess happened for the last 20 years with evs and, and normal cars it took a long while for the actual big car manufacturers to to realize it might be a smarter idea in the long run for themselves yeah of or course the companies or... i mean i would say that uh, it has been a painful experience for them <laughs> to some extent <laughs> because i guess it's the same as where you have the uh, when you had the traditional cameras with film and yeah. then you had the digital camera and if you're not part of what is coming you will be obsolete um but where is the tipping point mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not i'm not sure but of course tesla has been immensely successful and showing so i guess that we owe it to tesla and elon musk that we have this high adoption of, of no. uh, ev at the point because showed that evs are cool and it's you know it's yeah, a fun oh. car to drive and I have a Tesla. It's fun. <laughs> yes, it is. And I and I also particularly like that you can install fart sound. I like the playfulness yeah. of it. That you can be really, really serious, but also you can just play around with your car. Yes. Yeah. So it's uh, and, and when you drive a Tesla, when you sit in a Tesla, it's a totally different feeling. You feel like you're part of something new. It's not a normal car that has just gone from a gasoline tank to a battery. Because mm -hmm. when you sometimes drive uh, the traditional e manufacturer's EV, it's like it's this, the feeling you get in the in the car is like it's no difference. Yeah, it's like a car. Yeah. It looks different, but still it doesn't look different. It, it's it's the same. Yeah. But it has inside. If we don't see it, it's different. Uh, whereas Tesla is a whole new experience. And I think that people are looking for a new experience as well. Mm. Um, when you put those, or you, you said you have contact, um, I assume with any normal contact thing over time, it will slowly wear out. Yes. So that is, of course, our all technology, different technologies has benefits and uh, challenges and that is obviously our challenge that you have wear and tear on the contact mm. but we have made lifetime tests in sort of uh, together with the university and some institutes and we still believe that the part you need to change it's 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 very easy so if you go to your Carrera mm. track it's like braided uh, yeah you want tennis to just pull it together with like a light, lightly moist yeah. fingertip basically just pull it back yeah so basically yeah. this would be the same principle so it's not so hard and it's not so expensive but you probably have to change the outer layer once a year or when you do service or something like that but then again also uh, we also get the question of snow and uh, water and um, and we have two versions of the rail one that you can put on top of the asphalt and one that you can submerge mm -hmm. so it's the same level uh, and um, obviously for highways we will 
the, the submerged is preferable. So, and it has the same friction as the asphalt. Yep. So for a motorcyclist, it will be safe to cross over. Um, but then you can snow plow as, as you want, yep. uh, because it will be the same level. And uh, we also have heating. So for the top layer, we can sort of de-ice it as you do with yep. aircrafts. Uh, and we have uh, temperature sensors every meter. Mm -hmm. So we will know when it's a good time to put on. So we don't uh, use more resources or warm uh, heating when it's not necessary. Yep. So that is, is so the each rail contains like a 50 ish different sensors measuring temperature, vibration, everything that's necessary. Yes, yeah. both for our safety, uh, for the electronics in the rail, but also gathering data about the surroundings. So uh, I would say that um, 90% or more of our development has been related to different safety issues uh, following standards. So, yeah, I feel quite confident that it yeah. will meet. I guess also then with, with lightning strikes, for example. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and we build the road in 10 meter segments. So if one 10 meter segment is, is sort of uh, not working or there's an obstacle or you don't mm. charge, that doesn't really reflect on the others. So we okay. can still charge a bit. But the way our system works is that when a vehicle drives over it, it will send an encrypted radio signal. Um, which will unlock the power distribution. So we will only power one meter at a time. And that mm -hmm. is really what is our core technology is to put on high power in very short segments very quickly, because that meter, it will be underneath the vehicle, regardless if it stands still or it drives 120 kilometers an hour. Yeah. So you could also use it in parking slots, yes. essentially. Yeah. Yes, and that's what we see now is is very useful because the pain people have now with EVs is to solve the charging while they're standing still. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's maybe like two or three charging spots in a massive parking house. Yes, and but also, I mean, for personal cars, it's it's a hassle. I'm not sure if you, uh, I've just started using or driving EVs, and I don't like the cord. I I do it, but it's not. And the first times it was a bit exotic. No. But that soon wear off, especially in Lund February. Uh, yeah, climate yeah, yeah. it's it's not so nice to stand there and does it fit and do i have my app up does it work and uh, things like that so but i can do it it doesn't really affect me that much but if i'm a, a commercial operator and every time i should start it uh, or charge it it takes 15 ish minutes mm. that's that's a cost yeah. if i can reduce that uh, and I, I make it more comfortable for my driver and uh, I can take the advantage of, of charging uh, while I'm doing something else, while I'm waiting to load and unload at the dock. If I can charge on a rail then without any cords or then I would increase my productivity. So that's what we think now is, is a pain for commercial operators is that you reduce productivity when you turn into electrification. You can probably do like a shift on a vehicle and then you have to go back and then you will charge overnight, but you can probably not have two shifts. No. Uh, and then you would need more vehicles and that's not sustainable. So for us, it's all about, again, resource efficiency. No. You should use your vehicles uh, as much as possible and you should use sufficient with energy. 
How do you determine which roads to put them on? Well, it's not really us who okay. <laughs> determines <laughs> that, uh, but I guess that uh, so from uh, in Sweden, it will be the Swedish Transport Administration. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, look where it could be a high usage. Where do you have a lot of um, passages every day? So where uh, the next permanent or the first permanent electrical road in Sweden will be close to Örebro Halsby, which is a logistic hub mm -hmm. where you have a lot of different uh, logistic uh, centers and uh, different operators that uh, drive the same route every day. Mm -hmm. So then you look for. So I think the plan in Sweden at least would be um, to have it for between like Malmö, Stockholm, Stockholm, Göteborg, Göteborg, Malmö, that triangle, because yep. there you have the highest traffic. And I guess in, in Germany, you, you have some trials in, uh, for, but then they have mainly tried a catenary system with overhead lines. Okay. So there's outside Hamburg and Lübeck. And when you drive at Autobahn, you realize that there are so many trucks. Mm -hmm. So it will be interesting if they were to electrify those. Because also you see them a lot parked at the different uh, resting. Yeah, yeah, because they only allowed to drive for like, I think, eight or nine hours. Four hours, Four and hours. then they have to have a rest, and then they have to drive. And everyone says that, well, it's a good opportunity to take um, take that opportunity to charge while you are doing your break that you, uh, you, you need to or legally obliged to do. But then when you look at those uh, stations, there are so many trucks. There are so many trucks. <laughs> <laughs> How can you put in effect power yeah. uh, to support like 200 trucks mm. or ish? And that's like every two kilometers, basically. Yes. Uh, and you need uh, charging points, you need power, you need, it's just, and then you need to, so for us, it would make more sense that you actually charge while you were driving and then you could use your brakes whenever you need to, but then, and you could probably charge then also, but not the entire need. Mm. But then with the, I guess with the contact, you would need to retrofit the cars or the trucks. Yes, of course. I mean, any system you would need, you would use for dynamic charging you need to retrofit yeah. but hopefully going forward uh, scania is a oem that works with looking into uh, oem is it's a vehicle manufacturer okay mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, scania as a vehicle manufacturer yeah. is um they have a collaboration with siemens who does the catenary system so they are now looking in developing trucks with the pantograph uh, and on board. So, of course, if our solution would be the preferred one, then I, I assume that the vehicle manufacturers <laughs> would <laughs> adopt. Yeah. And and that is today. I, I guess one obstacle is also that you have different technologies. Uh, you have um, there's an uncertainty what will be the prevailing solution in ten years. So that also puts some barriers or. Um, People are reluctant to go for certain solutions until they know which solution, which will be the winning one. But the problem with that is that everyone is just waiting yeah. and not doing things. And for the, for the sake of the climate, we need to do things and then rather quickly, yes, yes, and then evaluate rather than waiting for that silver bullet solution that has most benefit or will be the only solution. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that technology innovation is is really done in that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need to have uh, different solutions competing, 
being tried, tested, evaluated, demonstrated, and then from there it will evolve. Hopefully the best one then wins and yeah. Yes, but there's also a question of it is, is this the, the best technology that will win or is the... The best marketed one. The best market or the easiest or most user-friendly or, I mean, uh, when you look at, you don't probably remember, but uh, when I grew up, there was, um, uh, when you talked about video cassettes, it was VHS and Betamax. And apparently okay. Betamax was the superior technology, but VHS got the pornography industry to distribute the yeah, rare test. So <laughs> it got a higher usage and then yeah. it became the prevailing technology without being the best technology. Yeah. It was the easiest. I mean, I guess for for you, the, the let's call it downfall for the lack of a better word, so that you would need to rip open the street, at least for the for the submerged one, I guess. Yes, but you only drill like five centimeters okay. and you think it's, um, but uh, when you talk to the asphalt people, they just, they have this machine or tool and they yeah. drive it and it takes, I think they will mill like one kilometer per hour or something. And then we can, so, so I would say that is not really the biggest. Uh, yeah. So there's no, no danger for more potholes on the side. Or, no. No. Okay. That's so I guess, I mean, all solutions will have, if you want to have dynamic charging, if you have the catenary system, you have to put up poles. And then if you have induction, you would still put it underneath uh, the asphalt. Of course, you, you need to do some work on, on, the, on the roads, but um, uh, the roads are there. But if you are building new charging stations somewhere, then you would need more land or more that are not today cultivated. So mm -hmm. for us, again, using resources efficiently. So we have the infrastructure, the roads are there. Why not utilize them? Yeah. Um, for you currently, because you, you have a few roads in, in Lund and in a mine somewhere. Yeah. Do you like, do you have a kit to, to fit the cars or? Do yes, we have developed like a small retrofitting kit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but of course we are just doing reference cases and pilots at the moment, no. um, preparing to scale up, but we are a startup. Uh, and uh, as I said previously, our core is really the rail side to switch on power quickly in short segments. Um, but we are also doing on the vehicle side today but of course if if there is a automotive uh, player out there who wish to to take that uh, <laughs> part <laughs> hey contact me <laughs> <laughs> it's it's for us we always have this we have a really huge sense of urgency um, because we need to do climate impact quickly and we really believe that dynamic charging can provide uh, an impact uh, and, and you know in most countries road transportation stands for somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of the total no. co2 emissions so if we are to meet uh, the climate goals we need to really do something about it and for us doing things that get this opportunity or technology out there as quick as possible is that is our guiding star so um, we want to collaborate and partnerships and just to be able to have an impact as quickly as possible. Yeah, essentially, as far as I know, the everyone who th thinks about getting an EV, the uh, the reasons to not get one is either range, anxiety, uh, yeah, lack of charging capabilities or or price, and basically by reducing battery size that way and being able to charge 
technically anywhere. There's no reason anymore. <laughs> I, know, I know. I mean, that is really, if you look at in, into electrification, charging infrastructure is, is the highest barrier mm. for it to happen. Uh, or the speed of adoption is restricted by charging infrastructure. Yeah. And today, the establishment or the traditional uh, stakeholders, they, they are mainly focused on larger batteries, faster charger. But they again are a bit caught up, I think, in the traditional way of doing things. Yeah. So we need to disrupt how we think about charging. Yeah. yeah. Going a few steps back and thinking yes. about okay. What is what, how, what what is the end result we want to achieve? Yeah. It, it is range happiness, <laughs> <laughs> and it is uh, price worthy vehicles, and and uh, and for the commercial operators, it's productivity. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to utilize the vehicles, and and there is, a, I mean, there today when you talk about to fleet managers or logistic companies, they need to know so much about energy, energy production, energy capacity, and they are not experts in that. They are experts in transporting no. goods, for example, and they want to do that, but they are forced into a different discipline almost that takes longer and it's it it gets quite complex uh, because it's not only that you need the evs you also need the power yeah. and we all prefer renewables and how do we solve that but that is a bigger question and and if we were also waiting for that to be solved before we do something then it will take so long so we need to act on so many levels and really start running towards the future but without having the exact direction yeah you have like your end game yeah it's just but the exact route to get there that is not uh, predefined that you have to discover figure out as you go and i guess that um that is to some extent very scary yeah i try not to think about the the situation too much to be honest (laughs) it's just i know it's too overwhelming but then for us uh, instead of sitting and being passive and uh, you know oh it's going the world is going to end we just need to do something yeah yeah this is technically my way of doing something i guess yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) the little impact the teeny tiny impact that i might have but it's good i mean i i think it's great to to share knowledge and to um also engaged in engage in questions that are of concern regardless of how you do it it's important thanks so much for listening if you like this episode i would uh, greatly appreciate it if you go to spotify or apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this episode and give it a like or a subscribe alternatively you can also share the episode on linkedin or twitter or wherever you are it is by far the best way to support the show and to help me grow Otherwise, I will be hearing back from you in two weeks with the second part of this interview with Karin Ebbinghaus.